0: Let's join together in prayer. We're thankful to you, Almighty and merciful God, that you have left us with such a record of your dealings with mankind and, in particular, with individuals. And this morning, as we turn to a familiar passage, we ask again that you would be our teacher. Lead us into the knowledge of your truth and help us to see the wonder of our Lord Jesus Christ, even in this dark passage, this painful event that we recall. Go before us, we pray, and lead us in the knowledge of your truth. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well this is the last of our Christmas themed messages and one that nicely rounds out not only the Christmas season but also the end of the year which we have reached again by the grace of God. In this series which I've called The Coming of the Messiah as Told to, we've had the opportunity to trace the announcement of the birth of Jesus in various parts of the scripture as told to various people in the scripture. If you were with us at the start of this month, you would remember that we began by thinking of the announcement of the coming of the Messiah as told to Adam and to Eve, way, way back in the Garden of Eden. And then from there, how it was revealed to the king Ahaz of Judah, of all people, then to Mary, then to Joseph, and now to King Herod. It's kind of good that Herod is last in the line of these people who received the news of the coming of Messiah, because although his reaction to the news was memorable, it certainly wasn't exemplary, as we shall see. But having said that, we would all be very much aware that christmas time can bring out various different reactions from different people for many it's a time of joy and giving and celebration but for others christmas is a time of sadness sadness loneliness and despair it's good to remember that because unless we have that in mind we'll find ourselves with a very skewed and imbalanced understanding of life as it is. This caused someone to rewrite the words of a little town of Bethlehem with these words. A little town of heartaches, how troubled we see thee lie. Throughout thy deep and dream-tossed sleep our fears go marching by. And in thy dark thoughts dwelleth Our everlasting fright, the dread and tears of all the years, are visiting tonight. So when the news of the coming of the Messiah was announced to Herod, it wasn't necessarily a happy time for him either. In fact, it proved to be an extremely challenging time for him and his many subjects And when I say challenging, I don't mean to imply that Herod grew through the whole situation in terms of maturity and character. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And While our text this morning tells us that the news of the coming of the Messiah was announced to him by the wise men and confirmed through the quick Bible study done for him, by the chief priests and the scribes, men who would also show themselves enemies of the Messiah in the end, this incumbent king saw the arrival of this Messiah as a serious threat and a day that he may well have cursed and all his life regretted its arrival. And yet, despite the harshest and severest of reactions that you could ever imagine, there are still lessons to learn from his mistakes and his errors. Let's note them together. There are three this morning. Firstly, King Herod teaches us about the dangers of self-centeredness, the dangers of self-centeredness. Verses 1 to 15. Without knowing that Herod didn't know the news, these wise men not only rocked up to his palace but also by giving him the news completely rocked the world, his world. Verse 1 and 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now we'd probably be right in surmising that this was like a bolt from the blue for Herod. There had been no message from God through the prophets in Israel for 450 years years. And now here were visitors, some visitors to his country, who had made their way right into his presence with this most unwelcome news. What we know of Herod, it seems that he was so wrapped up in himself that nobody else mattered. When he looked in his mirror, he saw a king with prestige and power and wealth. Maybe he saw designer robes a crown, a scepter and a royal throne and everything he could possibly desire, let alone need. According to the standards of the world, Herod was an immensely successful king. He built palaces and fortifications. He even rebuilt the temple, twice as big as it ever had been. When there has been a famine in 25 BC, Herod even melted down his own gold to buy food for these people. Yet Herod was so insecure. Why? When he had everything. Well, Jesus put it this way, if you lay up your treasure only on this earth, it won't last for very long. A eat it and it rots away or thieves break in and steal it. It's yours, but for a moment, then it slips your grasp. So here is Herod, the forerunner of all Scrooges and Grinches of Christmas, saying, bar humbug, or worse, as he thinks about the Messiah, because all his treasure is right here, and the problem with earthly treasures are that they never satisfy. Reminds me of the story of the young boy who was being entertained by his sister one day at a shopping centre. They stopped at the video arcade and in order to keep him quiet she gave him a handful of dollars, I guess, and said, go play video games. So he, became, he went off, began playing video games but because he wasn't so great at it he, he quickly used up all the money. He came back to his sister and asked for more. And she told him that she had no more. But I want more, he said. And she said, you need to learn that one of the rules of life is this. You don't always get everything you want. And he clenched his fists and he jumped up and down and he said, I hate that rule. And so do most of us too. And perhaps Herod. He wanted more power. He wanted to hold on to what he had. You see, at the time of Jesus' birth, Herod was only the appointed puppet king over Judea. And he already had a track record of dealing harshly with possible rivals to his position. He'd actually had his favourite wife and two of his own sons put to death as a safeguard to holding on to this throne So when suddenly he had a couple of wise men asking to see the newborn king, this news is not what Herod wants to hear. He wants no rivals. He liked to be the one who makes the decisions. He wants to be the one calling the shots, giving the orders. But now a threat to all that he has has, comes into the world and reacts badly as we shall see. Now, in one sense, Herod is, of course, spot on in his, his, his assessment of his rocked world. In no way does it justify his behaviour. But Herod, Herod was right to perceive that a real rival had entered the scene and there had to be something, something he could do about it. Secondly, Herod teaches us about the fruits of hard-heartedness in verse 16 to 18. The text of Matthew 2 doesn't pull any punches, does it? Herod's response to the news of the coming of the Messiah is not only to lie, go find him that I too may worship him, but also a determined effort to execute this rival. And so Matthew tells us, as we have heard, that after realising that the wise men are not coming back with the news of the Messiah's whereabouts, he, quote, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. It's a sober lesson to read this scripture and ask, how could anyone be as callous as Herod was. How could anyone issue an order to murder innocent children? It's a sober lesson because it reminds us of the sinfulness of the human heart. Herod was so hardened by his sin and so wrapped up in himself that he reached the point of hardness in relation to his sin. The sin does that If you continue in sin, then each time it just gets easier and easier to sin because you don't listen to your conscience and your heart is hardened. And while he may have started out with a lie and maybe an act of dishonesty, it soon is that he has no difficulty at all in issuing a decree, murder innocent children. Imagine that coming from the mouth of a king or for that matter a government who legislates abortion as we have in this country. Murder innocent children. But worse than this, it appears that there was no tinge of guilt, no tears of remorse, no repentance in his heart before his death. Sin had so calloused and hardened him No longer was there any sensitivity in life that would respond to the working of God's Holy Spirit upon him. There is a sense in which we face this danger. Not that we intend to murder innocent children, but that we become so desensitised to the the message of the Messiah's coming. Maybe for you Christmas has come and gone with such a whirl that we might well learn from the little boy who misprayed the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our Christmases as we Christmas against others. And like Herod, we can become hardened in our hearts and Christmas against one another and against the God who so graciously and mercifully sent us his Son for our salvation by treating that gift with scant time or thought or by the rejection of the rule of the Messiah, like Herod here showed. Thirdly, Herod teaches us of the limits to earthly greatness. In verses 19 to 23, the text doesn't follow up anything in relation to Herod's murderous response. Well, Matthew relates to us the way in which his actions ultimately caused a fulfilment of a prophecy in Jeremiah Nothing is more said about Herod and that was probably because soon after this he died. And so says verse 19. Herod died at the age of 69. And what's more, doctors have settled on exactly what killed the king of ancient Judea. Chronic kidney disease complicated by a very uncomfortable case of a maggot-infested gangrene in his abdomen. Now that's not a nice way to go. You do have to feel sorry in a way for him because he was a product of his time, a time when earthly kings built earthly kingdoms. And earthly kings amassed glory for themselves in a day when to be a king involved the exercise of power, ruling over others, manipulating lives, controlling situations. And if anything gets in your way, then take care of it, whatever is required. Caesar Augustus once said, it's safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. What a contrast then between Herod And the baby he tried to kill. Herod died soon after and went off into oblivion, the record of his life, staring starkly at everyone who cares to find out about this man. No history writer speaks favourably of Herod. And what of the one he tried to kill? Well, according to the text, the child Jesus and family are under the care of the Lord. Uh, there under the care of the Lord God who appeared again to Joseph in a dream uh, causing their return from Egypt back to the land of Israel and to Nazareth where they settled and became Jesus of Nazareth and later at the age of 30 announced the arrival of the kingdom of God. What a contrast between the two kingdoms that these two men built. Herod, who probably lacked nothing, but ended up with nothing. and Jesus had nothing, but the kingdom he built surpasses everything. Had Herod lived a bit longer, he may have heard Jesus say, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or he may have heard Jesus say, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Herod need to learn that the answer to the first and second question of Jesus is the same answer nothing. A man gains nothing if he gains the whole world but loses his soul. A man has nothing that he can exchange for his soul. And sadly for Herod, the limits to his earthly glory reached no further than his grave. Well, in pointing out these lessons that are based around Herod's reaction to the coming of the Messiah, it seems like that Herod's errors have not been learned from by many in this world. We see them repeated over and over. While there is some brief and empty recognition of Jesus who was born to be king, sadly most miss out on the fact that the type of king Jesus is means that he cannot be anything but king and lord and master of people's lives. He demands full obedience, full subjection. The attitude is displayed and repeated, when everyone, whenever anyone expresses their own desire to be independent of Christ's rule, to live their life their way, and when anyone just assumes that they are the boss of their own life and they, through each day, doing their own thing, making their own plans and their decisions, are in effect saying, like Herod, we do not want this king to rule over Us blinded by arrogance and a sense of a false sense of self importance, Herod and many others have fallen for that trap. It does not infer, of course, that we might be as vicious as he was. But the thought of having to have Jesus as king, I mean, you might feel fine with a bit of religion, even some works of charity. But allow Jesus the keys, the reins of your life. Well, that's another thing entirely. Might there be a part of you that that rejects that? I don't want the rule of King Jesus over me. I do want to do what I want to do. One of the world's most famous pieces of art would have to be The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. And most people have at least seen photos of it or tacky reproductions of it on posters or stained glass windows. It's that picture of Jesus on the screen at the centre of this long table and all his disciples either side of him. Well, The Last Supper was actually painted by da Vinci as a fresco on the wall of a dining room in a monastery. Unfortunately, poor old Leonardo wasn't served too well by history. The wall began to crumble almost immediately. He finished painting it because the monks had only built it with loose dirt. Some early friars even cut a door right through the wall where Jesus' feet were. Then over time, the chamber stopped being a dining room, became a stable, then a storage room, then a prison, and then some army barracks. Can you imagine a room full of donkeys or a room full of convicts with one of the greatest pictures in history on the wall? And finally, to add insult to injury, when they finally decided to restore the painting up a little, some of the restoration was so sloppy it was scandalous. One artist was so casual about the task, he gave James six fingers on one hand. All in all, the art world now mourns that such a treasure could have been so neglected, so overlooked, so undervalued, treated so poorly. But if it's tragedy to treat a picture of Jesus like that, how much worse is it to treat the person of Jesus like that? To neglect him, to overlook him, to undervalue him, to misunderstand him, to reject him. That was Herod's mistake. He let his pride and his ignorance get in the way so that he missed the good news of the birth of Jesus who was the coming king who certainly does have authority over us but also loves us enough to come among us and set us free from the punishment we deserve. The appropriate reaction to a king like that is to gratefully accept and submit to him. Of course, let's not forget that Herod called himself a king. He wasn't really a king. That's what he wanted to be known as, a king. Kings are meant to be smart and wise. Kings are meant to know the things that make up life. Kings aren't meant to miss out on the obvious but here's one who did. It's not often you can say that you've grasped onto something that bypassed the king. But when anyone responds to what they've heard about Jesus, they can be one up on this king who missed the greatest news he could ever know when the news of the arrival of the Messiah was brought to him by wise men and confirmed in his presence by the words of the prophets. Surely in the whole of the Scriptures there's no greater tragedy than that. And yet isn't it still one that is repeated again and again and again? Don't let this tragedy be your story as this year passes on and a new one begins. For to miss out on what Jesus offers and to place yourself on the wrong side of the one who is the central figure of all history. In fact, from whom all history flows. Even if such an act means that you hang on and inherit the whole world. Well, that's the greatest tragedy that ever could be. Let's pray together. We give you thanks, Heavenly Father, that this world was so warned and told of the coming of your Son, that way, way back through the history of humanity, we've seen so many evidences, so many prophecies, so many encouragements, so many hints in the Scriptures that your Messiah would come. And now we're faced with the situation of thinking ahead to the future, not just to tomorrow, to the new year, but to what will befall the world in the future. And you've told us again and again that this Messiah will come once more, no longer as a baby, but to judge the world in righteousness. And yet so many, like Herod, would rather hang on to what they've got than submit their all to the King of all. May we be found among those who are longing for and hoping for our Lord's arrival and the coming of his kingdom in fullness, so that we too might rejoice exceedingly as the wise men did, and offer him everything that we can. For he deserves, is worthy of all praise, of all glory, of all honour. So deal with our hearts, we pray, and where there are elements of rebellion, please humble us, And help us to fall at his feet. We pray this in his name. Amen.